Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and thanks for joining me for today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. My guest today is Jeremy Best. Jeremy is the former head boys basketball coach at Crestview High School. And before that, he was the head coach at Hilltop and the head coach at Delta as well. Uh, most Northwest Ohio people know Jeremy, obviously, for the great success that he had at Crestview, including multiple trips to the state championship, uh, state final four and state championships. Uh, I know Jeremy because my brother went to college with him and we've been friends for a long, long time. I've had great respect for Jeremy for a long time because I think anybody that can experience a season when you have a zero in the left-hand column where the W's are supposed to go and a season where you have a zero in the right-hand column where the L's are supposed to go has a great story to tell, and I look forward to letting Jeremy tell that story today. Thanks for joining me for my chat today with Jeremy Best, formerly of Crestview High School. Hi, welcome into today's episode of the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast. Obviously, I'm your host, John Cook, and tickled to death today to have as a guest, uh, not only a guy that I think and is a great coach and has a great coaching story, but I'm just tremendously blessed for the last, God, I don't know, 20 plus years uh, to call Jeremy Best a friend. I mean, a legitimate, true friend and a, and a guy that I think if it wasn't for basketball, we probably wouldn't have met. But if it, if basketball didn't exist tomorrow, we, we, we'd be friends. And I count myself fortunate for that. And JB, I'm going to tell you this because I've never said this to you before. This podcast is about it only started in May, so I, I can't help that part. But even at that, it's about 13 or 14 months overdue because you and I sat down when you walked away from things at Crestview a little over a year ago and and had a conversation that was supposed to turn into an article that was supposed to be published. And I just didn't have the courage to tell you at the time that shortly after we had that conversation, my phone got destroyed and I, I lost all of that content. And I tried to piece the article together without bothering you again. And it just was terrible. It wasn't good. So we're, this is our redo. And I appreciate you taking the time on us. By the time people hear this, they won't care. But on a fairly early Saturday morning, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Uh, hey, absolutely, John. I appreciate you uh, touching base with me. I've enjoyed listening uh, to your podcast and listening to your story and, and the, the, the people that have came on and shared their stories. So I will, I will definitely grant you a redo, and I, I won't hold you liable to, to misprinting anything that, that you were going to put in that article. <laughs> so we'll make this work. Yeah, this, will, <laughs> this will legitimately be your words, and that will be much better than it having been mine. So there's no question well, about that. I don't that. know about that. <laughs> All right. Uh, look, we, we go back a long way, so I, I don't know about trying to, to pin down when we first met. But and, and I've heard a lot of your story and knew some of it beforehand. But I mean, you're a, like a lot of the guys on this podcast and, and ladies on this podcast connection to Northwest Ohio. And you ended up obviously coaching at Crestview for a very long time. But you're a, you're a born and raised Northwest Ohio guy. Talk a little bit about your, your experience growing up, where you played in high school and ultimately uh, you know, go, choosing to go to college and play basketball and how that all kind of played out for you. Sure, Cookie. I, um, you know, I, I am born and raised, you know, within a, you know, 40, 45, 50 mile radius of here. I grew up in a little town uh, right up Route 49 here uh, called Eden, um, which is in the northwest corner of the state in Williams County. You go about uh, two to three miles and you're in Indiana, another three or four miles and you're in Michigan. So, that, that little town is right there, um, you know, in, in about as far northwest as you can get. And, um, you know, I, I think 
you know, as growing up in, in the, uh, being kind of an 80s kid and, and my formative years, you know, maybe trying to be towards the mid-80s through the late 80s, you know, I, I just was one of those kids that um, just always enjoyed and loved sports. Um, you know, I think as far back as I can remember about anything, um, I remember things revolving around sports. <laughs> um, I was the youngest of, of, of four. Um by 12 years, 10 years, and four years. So I really was, you know, kind of not an only child, but my older brothers and sisters were, were kind of out of the house really before I was, you know, junior high, high school age kind of thing. And so I had to be creative with some things. I lived about four miles outside of town and was always looking for a game and always looking for for some buddies to come over and, and shoot some hoops or, or crack some fly balls and you know, out in the field and out, out, in the, out in the yard or play some football. I was just that kind of kid that's always looking for something to entertain me through sports. Um, you know, I got even, I can remember I, I ride my daggone BMX bike to town four miles and track down some buddies and go out to the park and, and just try to do something connected to sports and, um, yeah, I just, I'd always had a, 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 a passion um, for sports. It didn't matter what it was, football, baseball, basketball. Uh, I grew up on a little nine-hole golf course, so I played a lot of golf as a kid growing up, too. So, But Eden was a great place to grow up. Um, just a really um, simplistic way of life. Um, you know, again, my, my parents were hardworking people that, didn't, didn't really have a whole lot as in reference to money, but we pretty much had anything we wanted uh, from the standpoint of, you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't go without, but just grew up in a real simplistic life. My parents were uh, both self-employed, so they worked really hard for what they had, and I definitely learned a lot of those qualities uh, from, from my mom and dad as a kid growing up, and um, you know, I think they definitely shaped me and, and steered me down the, the path of, of – um, you know what I'm doing right now at, at 46 years old with my family and, and my profession. Were your were your parents? Uh, I, I guess I want to. How do I want to ask this? When it came to your sports participation and sports involvement, were your parents heavily involved? Were they pushing you into sports? Were they involved in coaching the teams that you played on? How, how did? I mean, there's there's so many different there's so many different yeah. dynamics in play today with kids in sports that I always find it interesting to talk about the background that that, that people experienced when they were playing. Yeah, that, that that's an awesome question. Now again, you know, this is this is our this is the '80s, you know. So so my mom and dad were um, you know had were married for you know over 50 years and you know, my dad passed about 12 years ago but no they, they really they really weren't uh heavily involved with what i was doing with sports um you know especially my dad you know he, he kind of he was either working or he, my dad also uh, was a race car driver he drove um, semi-professionally sprint cars so he was he did a lot of tinkering with that stuff he was gone a lot on the weekends and um you know i, I grew up uh, at racetracks uh, in the summer when I was a kid. You know, we were all over uh, the Midwest uh, doing that kind of stuff. But I would say if anyone early on, it was my mom. You know, she was she made sure I got to practices. And heck, even if I wanted someone to go and pitch to or, or pitch to me, my mom would be the one that did that. But they were both very, very supportive. Um, but they didn't, they didn't meddle in it. They let me be me with it. Um, you know, they were supportive of me. They always supported the coaches. Um, 
probably took the coach's side before they took my side in any, if I complained about anything, but, um, and I, but I think that was a good thing for sure. Um, you know, they, 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 they encouraged me, uh, they pushed me, but they didn't, they didn't meddle in it. If, if that makes any sense, they didn't, they didn't have to, to be involved with it for me to be involved with it. Sure. Sure. I think that's outstanding. So when you have that kind of dynamic, and I think there's remarkable value in allowing your children to be coached by other people and, and, and have to respond to other voices of authority and those kind of things. I, I don't, I don't think you can put up uh, you can't quantify the value that there is in that. But when you go through that experience and you're a young man by your own admission, who really loved all the sports, do you remember the first coaches that you had that really started to have an impact on you and kind of shape you into, into maybe one day doing the, the coaching thing? I really do, John. As you, you were, you know, kind of telling me and prepping me on some things that we might be talking about. I'm, I'm reminiscent in my mind about even, even from, you know, eight years old. And I can remember my first baseball coaches I had when I played, you know, little minor league baseball. Um, you know, I remember, both of those guys, and, and I just always, John, I always had a um, a perspective, and, and I don't really know all for sure, but I always had a perspective on coaches. Uh, I just always respected them. Um, I appreciated uh, what they had to say. Um, I didn't always like some things with, with coaches that I had, even like I said, from, from eight years old when I first started playing competitively in, in baseball to when I finished playing for Coach Neal at Boston. But I always, um, I always just respected coaches and always watched them and, and paid attention. You know, when I was a kid coming up through school, and I'd go watch our local, you know, basketball teams play or something. I, I always, I just remember I would watch, <laughs> I'd watch coaches, even the opposing coaches, and it just always, I had an interest in that for some reason, even at a young age. Maybe I didn't realize it that at that time, but I just always liked watching them and watching their interactions with the, with their players. But I would say, Cookie, probably when I was about 10 or 11, um, <clears throat> I played uh, CYO basketball for a guy by the name of Chuck Cox. And um, there was a small Catholic school uh, in Blakesley, which was um, which was a, a little town that was fed into the school system, of Eden, but it had a Catholic school, which I had went there through the fifth grade and uh, played in our CYO basketball. Well, I played for this guy by the name of Chuck Cox. So he, he really kind of, Probably from a basketball perspective, um, he was my first coach that I had that, that really taught me anything about you know the game of basketball. Um, I remember I was probably, five, like I said, ten or eleven, but he took us, myself, and about four or five other kids to a basketball camp at Ohio University. Now we're from Northwest Ohio. We travel all the way down to Athens. We hop in a van. To me, at that time, I was like we were traveling across the country, you know. <laughs> you damn near were, JB. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, I, and I vividly remember just being so excited to go to a basketball camp, you know, and then and leaving the big village of Eden and heading down to Athens. And I can remember walking into the, that convocation center as a kid. And, you know, we, we played on that court a, a few times and just thinking that, my gosh, this is this is something else, you know. And, and that that probably lit the fire for me from a basketball perspective. And I, I you know I knew I loved the sport and, and, and loved to play. And I just think that, that from that point on, from about fifth or sixth grade, that you know that just the sport just really uh, appealed to me. And I just enjoyed it and, and knew that something I wanted to do. 
And so jumping ahead just a little bit, obviously uh, a passion for a sport like that is not uncommon, but there is a, there, there is a point in time when you start to consider the possibility of playing after high school. How early did that happen for you? Yeah, well, I think early. I mean, I always had a dream. This, this is kind of kooky, too. Like I said, I, I just always had an interest in it. You know, like I said, during that time frame, you know, grow, growing up where I grew up, number one, we didn't have ESPN. Amen. <laughs> Back in those days, that, that, that was not at our place. You know, we didn't live in town. You know, and if I wanted ESPN or I wanted to catch Big Monday or something, you know, I, I had to head to a friend's house that lived in town or my aunt lived in town. And believe me, I was always begging my mom to, to run me into town so I could catch Big Monday, you know, like on Monday night and watch, 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 watch the Big East. And, and uh, just I grew up watching in Indiana and Purdue because uh, the local Fort Wayne channels carried uh, Indiana and Purdue, you know, college basketball games. Yeah. So. So I grew up in that era of cookie again, and then I'm, I just, I love watching, uh, <laughs> I was watching Bob Knight and Gene Katie again, I'm 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, and I, and I'm, I'm watching the Bob Knight, Gene Katie show on Sunday mornings, like, who, who does that, you know, yeah. and I just, I just enjoyed, uh, I, I loved it, and, and I'd get up on Sunday mornings, catch the Bob Knight show, and, and, <laughs> and the Gene Katie show, they, they would, they had, coaching shows and, and those channels would, would, would broadcast those and I even remember watching the JX show on a Toledo channel. God J D I got I gotta interrupt you for a second. I gotta interrupt you for a second because I can't like I grew up in rural northwest Ohio, not as far north as you, but I had two self employed parents. I went to every high school game and remember sitting as close to behind the benches as I could between the two so I could watch both coaches. And when you said JX, I about jumped out of my chair because I, I, I watched the JX show. I grew up like, and I didn't have the Fort Wayne channel. So for me, it was channel seven out of Dayton. Like, like the most vivid memory I have of 11 or 12 years old or, or thereabouts or 13 is, is the theme song to the Dayton Flyer broadcast on channel seven because I was a Roosevelt Chapman fan and I didn't have cable either. This stuff is great. I, I mean, for those people that can't relate, I just feel bad for them. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, before the Indiana Hoosiers game, and this, this is well known, you know, they, they had uh, the mop lady, you know, the lady that was pushing the mop out in the hallway before the games and whistling the Indiana fight song. And I'm sure there's people who will listen to this at some point will understand that, but uh, it just, it's just funny. The memories that that brings up and, um, you know, I was a huge Steve Alford fan. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I was really an Indiana Hoosier fan, but I did I, I did love watching uh, the Hoosiers play because it was it was um, it's really all all I had. And you know, on Tuesday night or Saturday afternoon, I was watching Indiana or Purdue, and yeah, just just interesting. And, and I think, and I learned a lot about the game. You know, obviously from watching, and, and honestly, watching those. Stupid coaching shows, the Bob Knight show, the Gene Cady show, and just learned terminology and um, maybe not some of the terminology that, that Bob Knight used, uh, you know, that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just. Uh, I did I use some of that. that. Well, maybe I did once in a while too. But <laughs> I just enjoyed, uh, I did, I, I just enjoyed watching that. And it, and it was it, maybe you and I are the only. Um, pre-pubescent kids that watched the Bob Knight show, but we did, Cookie. No, I, 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 I tell you this, this is, this is the God's honest truth. I can remember 
watching, I think, the Gary Williams show uh, when he was when he was coaching Ohio State, and, and I saw yeah. they did a feature on Randy Ayers, one of his assistants, and I didn't want to bother Gary Williams at whatever I was, 13 or 14 years old. So I wrote a letter to Randy Ayers, swear to God, and wrote a letter to Randy Ayers, typed it and sent it to the basketball office that said who I was and that I had this cerebral palsy thing and probably wasn't going to be able to play in high school, wasn't sure, but I really, really wanted to be a coach. You know, did he think that would be possible and what would be the steps I would take to try to make it happen? And and to his credit, Randy Ayers wrote me a letter back. I swear he did. Now, it was pretty generic and wasn't very specific, but the man took time to write me a letter. Yeah, and, uh, that's beautiful. It, it is hilarious. Just when I think back on those times, 30 plus years, right around 30 years ago, 35 years ago, in some cases, it's pretty funny. But yep. so you get through all that and you obviously have a passion for coaching. But being where you were from and, and, and playing in the league you played in, when you thought about playing in college, what did you think? Where did you think you wanted to play or how did what, what level did you think you were capable of playing at? Well, yeah, you know, I, I think, I mean, Cookie, I, I wanted to play division one basketball, you know, I, I mean, that was a, a dream that I had. It was a goal, um, you know, and, I, and, and growing up where I was in a small town, USA, small school. And, um, I, I think having a passion for the game and going through high school, um, you know, I, I just get back to your question a little bit about, you know, did I, I was in reference to playing, you know, playing someday. I think I realized that when I was really young, I wanted to do that. But then once I got to high school, you know, I obviously, I played for a coach by the name of Bruce Krill uh, for three years who came over from Bryan um, my sophomore year. And it was really good for me because he brought a whole different level of, of intensity, toughness, uh, purpose. He built a program that, that we hadn't really had at Eden for quite some time. Um, you know, I think when I was in high school, we won, this, this isn't uh, elite or anything, but for us, it wasn't, we won four straight sectionals and we hadn't won a sectional in a long, long time. And, um, you know, for us to win four straight sectionals, it, it was a pretty good feat, but I, I think, you know, I, I wanted to play division one. I, I, in my heart of hearts, I, I probably knew that, you know, I, I probably wasn't, you know, being six foot one and not very quick and couldn't jump very high, but I could shoot it, you know? But um, when I became a senior, uh, my body began to change just a little bit. And, you know, I, I had some interest um, in, in, you know, Cookie, I, I actually ended up, I ended up going to St. Joseph's College, which was a Division II school um, out in Rensselaer, Indiana. And at that time, they were in the same conference as like Ashland was in that conference. Um, Northern Kentucky at that time was a D2 school cookie. Kentucky State, Bellarmine, Kentucky Wesleyan, uh, Lewis University, which was out near uh, Chicago. So I actually visited Lewis University. I visited St. Uh, St. Joseph's and I went to St. Joseph's. And, um, you know, it was it was a Division two school. So that that resonated with me probably for all the wrong reasons if you want my honest opinion um and uh, i went out there for a year and played for a guy by the name of dan peters uh, probably heard that name before um and then you know just it just wasn't a fit for me i didn't really belong out there um i probably wasn't going to be in the mix out there uh, in the long run and, and it took me being immersed in that environment to figure that out and uh, once I figured that out, I knew I wanted to make a change. And that's how I ended up, you know, moving on to Bluffton then uh, after one year at St. Joseph's College. Well, at first, I didn't realize that, that you played for Dan Peters at St. Joseph's. That's uh, 
God rest his soul. That's a that's a hell of a basketball coach and a good man. Um, yep. But when you when you make the decision to transfer, uh, and and I'm always curious about this. I don't know how many people are, but when you know you're deciding to transfer, was it was it a large selection of schools? Did you did you have an idea of of uh, maybe two or three places? How did you go about your process of determining where you wanted to move to? Well, that was real simple for me because I wanted to come closer to home. Um, you know, I was about three and a half hours away from home. And, uh, I knew I, I, I knew I wanted to continue to play basketball. Cookie, I'll just be quite honest. I, I don't know if I would have made it through college if I wouldn't have been involved in playing playing hoops. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can thoroughly admit that. Uh, it definitely gave me direction, uh, for sure. And I knew I needed that. Um, I really did. Um, I would have probably... Uh, been lost without it. Um, the discipline and the structure that it provided me at 19, 20, 21 years old, you know, I, I needed that. And I knew that. And um, so when I was looking to make the change, it came down to three schools, obviously Boston, Ohio Northern, and um, Defiance. So I came back home in, in May of, in May of 93. And I went to all three of those schools uh, for a visit. And I really, cooking. You know, I, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I, I really wanted to go to Ohio Northern, to be quite honest with you. Um, but they were just coming off, and you know, a national yep. championship. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. So I can, you know, I, that would have been in, in 93. And uh, I remember going to visit with, you know, Coach Campoli at that time and had a great visit with him. And um, I think, I guess I was observant enough and, and, and to knew that I might be right back in that same mix where I was um, out of St. Joseph's and, and really um, maybe not in the mix. I'm like, I don't want, I don't want that. You know, I want, I want to play, you know, like any kid does. I want to, I want to go somewhere and be a contributor and play. And after going to science and then talking with coach Neal, um, I was just sold on, on Bluffton and coach Neal and uh, what that, you know, the whole, what Bluffton College could offer me, uh, you know, as far as my education and, and uh, playing for Coach Neal. I remember Coach Neal who had recruited me in high school and um, he just always stuck out with me. Um, and when I was looking to make that move and made those three visits, um, it, it was, it was not an, uh, it was not a hard decision for me to make. I was, I was going to go to Bluffton and play for Coach. You know, I'm I'm very biased in in a lot of ways, and I may be the only guy alive in Northwest Ohio that's got such an such an affinity for both Ohio Northern and Bluffton. Um, graduating from Northern, spending four years as a student assistant and two different stints as a, as an assistant coach at Bluffton, uh, I just deeply love first of all both programs, and, and I love Coach Campoli and love Coach Neal. Um, and, and it was easy to say back then if. if if you didn't go to Northern, you probably should go to Bluffton and, and vice versa. But I, I now, with a little bit of distance and perspective looking back, man, if I would have been a high school player in this area being recruited by those two guys, I would have hated trying to make that choice um, yeah. about what, you know, it would have come down to fit. But but for the record, so you understand things, Madry ended up being ineligible at next year, and you'd have had a hell of a good chance to play for us and really <laughs> probably, probably would have made 93, 94 a better year than it ended up being. And certainly you – know, what was fun about that is is uh, I, I do remember that you know and, and uh, I think Jarvis Jones, Nick Berkey would have been there at that time. Yeah, I don't know if, if, if was John Lipinski. I, I don't know if he was still there at that time or not. Yeah, John, John John actually was um, 
he was a year behind me, so he would have been a sophomore when we won the title. His senior yep. year, his senior year would yep. have been ninety ninety five. But that that next year, which would have been ninety three ninety four, um, our first game of the year, and you, and you know where I'm going. With this. I, I was there. This, yeah, this would have been probably my. I think we we opened up on the road up at Albion um, for like a, a weekend tournament, and then that next might have been that next Wednesday night. Then we we opened up at home with Ohio Northern. Uh, which would have been my first game, you know, playing at home at Bluffton at Saunders Hall and Northern coming in and ha- having the defending national championships. And by gosh, you know, we, we, ups- we upset Ohio Northern uh, in, in a really great classic game. And, um, you know, I, I, were you on the bench at that time or were you just at the game? You remember? I, I, I was on the bench, actually, what it was the whole, the whole <laughs> week leading up to it. You know, obviously my brother's at Bluffton with you guys. And yep. so, so we had made plans. Hey, r- ride the bus over, and then just stay here. And after it's over, we'll go out and do our thing. And 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 Nick will, you know, Nick would drive me back to Ada, or I'd just stay in Bluffton for the for the night or whatever. And uh, and so and I'm thinking the whole time, well, that'll be great. You know, we'll kick their ass, and I'll go out with my my buddy and his, my brother and his buddies, and it'll be fun. And then we got our ass kicked. And, and I and I'm in the locker room, kind of in a suit and tie, thinking. Shit, I gotta change clothes and go out with these guys. I don't, I don't want to do this real bad right now. You know, the other part of that that's ironic is obviously the assistant at Bluffton at the time was Jody May, who had been a senior on our national title team and a captain of that team. But um, and I will never forget that night, like on the bench. You guys got off to a great start. It was like, like maybe ten two. Oh, yeah, we did get off to a good start. So coach calls a timeout. And, and when, when our guys came over, I think, you know, watching him, he made the decision to try not to put any extra pressure on our guys. So he kind of laughed it off. He, he sat him down in the huddle and he kind of laughed. And he's like, all right, fellas, relax. They're shooting their wad. Let's just get settled down and, and everything will be fine. So then we leave that time out and it goes to like 17 to four. Yeah. And he takes the next time out and he wasn't nearly as polite in the second time out with our guys. Like it was, it was pretty serious by then. And, and, uh, but boy, it was, it was a great college basketball game, but, um, and, and we had been in Alaska to start the year. We had won the national title. So we went to the tournament of champions yeah. up in Alaska and we lost twice yeah. up there because we got beat by, uh, Oklahoma city who was a NAIA school and, and, either final four or defending national champ. I think they might not have been national champs because I think they might've got invited because the D two school Baker Cal state Bakersfield wouldn't come, but, okay. but, but they were really, really good. They had two Louisville transfers and an Oklahoma state transfer and they beat us. And then we lost to the host school in the finals, Alaska Fairbanks was, was D two and they beat us. So you know, when we're playing at Bluffton that night, we're the, we're the defending national champs or whatever, but we're Oh and two. And, and, and by, yeah. by four minutes in, we're staring Oh and yeah, we're staring zero and three in the face, and it didn't change much. But so let's let's get back to your experience playing for Coach Neal because I, I'm I'm a little bit curious about this, and we got about four or five minutes before we take our our first break. Um, sure. What was your experience with him like in terms of cementing that idea that coaching might be your future? Well, again, you know, I, I, I I've had this conversation with, with many people before, but but Guy Neal. Uh, you know, for me at that point in time was what Jim Best needed. <laughs> uh, I, I, I just, I, it's weird how I gravitated um, to what he was selling, um, you know, and not all, not every, not, it's like, not everybody always did. 
but I did, you know, again, I transferred. So I was looking for, I was looking probably for something different, maybe cookie than when a, when a kid comes in there as a freshman. Um, so my perspective of coach and the program might be entirely different than your traditional kid that comes in as a freshman. Um, because I was looking for what guy Neal had to offer and, uh, it, it worked for me. You know, we had our times. I mean, I got in enough trouble where, you know, <laughs> a couple of times and, and coach, you know, you make a mistake and, and you learn from it. And, uh, he was willing to, you know, I made those mistakes and he was there to, to discipline and, and, and make sure that uh, I learned from those mistakes. And, and, uh, you know, we had some times, but overall, Cookie, it, it was a really great three years uh, playing for him. And I think that, uh, you know, not just him, but, but you know, Diane, I mean, they're, they're, I, mean I, I can see them today and, and still, you know, give a, hug, give, give a hug to Coach and give a hug to his wife, Diane, because they were just influential for me at that time. I had Diane in the classroom. And um, so, you know, I, I'm kind of jumping around your question, but, Bottom line, Guy Neal was was what I needed at that point in time in my life. And, and um, if you want to if you want to run a basketball program and you want to know how to do things the right way, um, I had the benefit of being with him for three years to learn that. Um, and I think that's something that I had over a lot of people because I learned that from Guy Neal. Uh, I think that that carried me into my profession um, on how to run a program, how to treat people, all those types of things. Um, that go into uh, you know running a, a high school basketball program or even running a classroom from that standpoint and a lot of that stemmed from him and, and I love that answer JB because I, I think there are a lot of ways to coach the game and be successful and there are a lot of ways to to operate in, in, from a program perspective but I, I I've always felt what you just said is absolutely accurate that if you want a kind of a blueprint that will that will ultimately lead to the creation of a very solid program. And I'm not talking X's and O's and philosophy and style of play. I'm talking about the program aspect of creating a culture uh, that, that will achieve at a high level and, and maximize people's potential as men, young men and players. Uh, I think coach does it right. So it's really a good place for our first stopping point and we'll take a break. And then um, when we come back, I want to talk about transitioning that lesson and those lessons into being a head coach at a very early age. Outstanding. So, Jeremy, you you finished your uh, playing career at Bluffton, and in the three years that were there, um, I, I don't know. You mean we could probably spend two full podcasts on some of the experiences as a player and the guys you played with. Um, and, and a lot of those guys, a lot of those guys did exactly what Bluffton guys do. They go into teaching and they go into coaching and they, they build tremendous careers for themselves. And, but so when you're leaving Bluffton, talk a little bit, if you would, about your idea of how to, 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 to go get a job. Were you looking for just any job? Were you focused on trying to become a head coach early or looking for an assistantship under a certain kind of person? I mean, most people obviously just want to get paid. They want to get to a job, but did you have kind of a checklist of things that you were hoping to have in your first opportunity? Um, no, <laughs> I did not. Uh, I went to a, uh, so the tail end of my my senior year, um, was finished my student teaching, um, 
was in late April, early May. I went to a job fair, actually, I believe at Ohio Northern, and um, where local you know schools come in and, and they do uh, you know pre-interview type stuff. Well, at that interview, uh, that's that job fair, I got connected with uh, Vandalia Butler, and they had called me back, and I actually went down there for an interview, um, you know, like a week later. And applied for, and like I said, I didn't, I didn't really care cookie what, where I was going to go. Um, I was looking just for a job, you know, looking for a gig, looking, looking for a teaching job. And I guess the coaching thing, you know, would come later and take care of itself. So I, I get hired at Vandalia Butler than cookie right away in, in mid May. So I was fortunate. I had a job even before I had my diploma in hand, which I was very, very pleased and, and, and happy to have that. So, I go down to Vandalia Butler, and um, I go to one of their middle schools, which is Vandalia Butler is a rather large district, so they had two middle schools. So I went to Smith Middle School, and I was a uh, a resource room teacher. Uh, had grade grades five and six, seven and eight, so it was <laughs> spread across uh, four grade levels, which was which was very challenging. Uh, I had a self-contained classroom. Um, and again, very challenging, uh, but it was also very, um, very rewarding. Um, you know, I had I had a kind of a tough population of kids that, that had some 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 physical situations. They had you know, obviously some learning scenarios, uh, learning disabilities, and things of that nature. But so that's kind of where I cut my teeth, and and, and my profession is teaching. And really, the whole coaching thing. Um, it was really kind of fortunate that it happened. It's kind of a weird story. Uh, Ray Zawadzki uh, was a legendary Hall of Fame coach at Vandalia Butler. He was there for probably 35 years, probably won close to 500 games. But there was a job opening uh, at Smith Middle School. They had uh, an eighth grade boys basketball job. Well, as the leader of a program, which Coach Zawadzki was, you hope you have a little bit of a say of, of who you hire, <laughs> who you hire as, your, as your assistants. So the, 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 the story is he, he kind of had had somebody in mind to fill that position, which I understand. He didn't know me from Adam. You know, I, I didn't meet Coach Zawadzki uh, probably until early October of that school year. Um, wow. I was coaching. I was going to coach. <laughs> I was going to coach junior high track, which I ended up doing. So I wasn't going to be coaching any basketball yet. So, again, that position is open. And my building principal at the time, his name was Rick Haynes, a uh, really good dude. Um, he wanted me to have that position because I was in the building. Okay. So he kind of went to bat for me and, you know, probably wasn't real popular with Coach Z at that time because he had a guy that he would have rather probably had in that position. Well, uh, Rick won, you know, uh, Rick, 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 or my building principal won that battle. I remember going up and, and, and having a little bit of an interview with Coach Zawadzki, and he, he was just a big, big, burly, intimidating guy. And I walk in and sit down and, and chat with him for a little bit, and he hands me a blank sheet of paper and a pencil. <laughs> he goes, I'll be back in 15 minutes. Put together a practice plan. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, shit. I, mean, I just thought we were going to talk a little bit, you know? So what what, what kicks in, but my guy Neil instincts, is I rattle, I mean, I just rattle off a beautiful practice plan, you know, just guy, guy Neil-esque as could possibly be. And Jump stuff, Lance. 
Oh, uh, you name it. We did the jump stop layups. We, we did, and ironically, you know, I did those for 21 years of my coaching career. So, uh, I jump stop layups and starts and stops, and oh yeah, blocked a cutter. So I put together this practice plan, and lo and behold, you know, I end up getting a job and, and work work in that position for two years, which was awesome. Um, the only regret, Cookie, that, that, that I have with that is, you know, I really wasn't exposed to Coach Zawadzki on a daily basis. He was up at the high school. I was, you know, down at the middle school, really kind of on my own, on an island. Now, I did do some, we did some scouting. Uh, another coach, the seventh grade coach, he and I did scouting uh, for the varsity team. And I really looked forward and loved doing that because it was a chance to get out and about and really saw some, some really good Division One high school basketball down in the Dayton area at that time. And I really looked forward to Sunday afternoons because we'd get together as a staff with Coach Zawatsky and his high school staff. So us guys from the middle schools who were out scouting that weekend would gather then on, on Sunday afternoon at the school and, and share our scouting reports and what we saw. And, and I think that's kind of how I really first um, began to look at the game, you know, from a coach's perspective. And Coach Zawatsky definitely was influential in that uh, and trusted us to, to put together, you know, a scout report and, and, and really valued what we had to say. And, um, you know, this has been a dad been doing it for 30 plus years at the time. And so that's really how it got started. Uh, that's how I um, <laughs> became became a coach and, and coach for two years, uh, eighth grade boys basketball, <laughs> before I moved into being head coach. So I guess I thought I had it figured out after two years of being an eighth grade coach. I guess I thought I was ready to be a head coach. <laughs> I, I think most of us do pretty early think we've got it I, figured out. I, I knew it all by then. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and it's interesting because because when I, when I did my podcast with Coach Fraley. Dave talked about one of the things that he thinks is missing in coaching today is is a, is a lot of young guys being able to lean on mentors, whether yeah. whether or not they work for a guy for a long time, you know, like like bags work for him for a long time, or whether or not it's just having a guy, you know, when you're in, when you're in the trenches, somebody, uh, you know, outside that's older, a little more experienced, been through some things that you can lean on and. You know, you, you became a head coach really early, and we're going to get into that. But I'm I'm jotting down notes as as we're talking here, and I and I'm looking at Bruce Krill, Dan Peters, Guy Neal, Ray Zawadzki. That's a pretty damn good network right there, Coach. It, it wasn't bad, you know. <laughs> it wasn't bad. But again, I was blessed. You know, I was fortunate to uh, build my foundation with those guys. You know, a lot of those guys were similar in a lot of ways, but also very different in many others. Um, but that's, 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 that's being uh, human, you know, people are different, uh, as much as we're alike in some ways, we are different, but yep, that was a, an interesting group of guys that, that, that I was able to kind of mold my and shape myself. You know, uh, another thing though, Cook, uh, I, I did not, I, I do wish I, I probably could have spent a little more time working under someone on a daily basis. I really didn't have that opportunity. Um, you know, like I said, two years. But I wasn't with, you know, I wasn't with the leader of the program every day. You know, I was yeah. kind of on an island. So um, I did not have that luxury or that opportunity. One that I'm looking back on, it probably would have prepared me a little bit better um, when I had my first couple of coaching jobs. 
I, I think there's a, a lot of value in it. And I, I was in the same boat. Didn't I mean when I talk about mentors, I didn't have that either. And and I think Jeremy, the the danger in that, in, in some ways, and maybe it's because it's personal to me, and maybe it's not true of everybody, but I think there is some truth to it. That, that there's two possibilities. I think when you when you go into it so early, is that you either, you know, you, you find your way through, and, and and you get through those early struggles, and and you develop and you grow because you're committed to your craft, and it actually ends up serving you well. Or there's always the danger. I think that you you get into something and you have struggles, and it really is hard, and and and, and I think burnout's a very real thing. I, I think it can happen to, to coaches. And I see today it's pretty typical and pretty common. And it's it's not outlandish for 23, 24, 25-year-old guys to become head coaches. When when you and I were doing it, it wasn't very typical. Correct. And, and Correct. so it, when, you're, when you're down there in, in Vandalia, you're in the Dayton area, and you're getting to the end of those those two years, that second year is coming to a close – did you start actively seeking head coaching opportunities? Was that was the I think it was Hilltop was the Hilltop thing because it was I mean fairly close yep. to where you were from and you found out about it through a, a source. How what was that like? Well, funny thing, even between that, um, uh, the, the year after my after my first year at I got contacted by a superintendent at Anna High School, who I had known from being in high school he was another superintendent at edgerton which is a local school uh, near eden well he knew of me and i, I didn't even know him but he contacted me about the potential of coming to teach at anna they didn't have a set basketball opening at that time uh, as far as a paid position but at that time i believe i believe the guy at that time there i believe his name was uh, Matt Meyer, I believe, yep. was his name, the head coach at that time. Does that ring a bell? Matt, Matt's a great guy. Matt, Matt yeah. was there. Matt, Matt left Anna right at the time that I was going to Jackson Center. Matt's wife was battling cancer, but uh, uh, Matt, Matt's now an administrator at a at a career center at Upper Valley, I think, uh, yep. in the Pickwell area. But love Matt. Matt's a great guy. Well, the story behind that is, is, is you know, I was, I was, I was going to be offered an elementary teaching position with the potential of, of Matt at that time, uh, getting in, getting in, that, now again, this is over 20 some years ago, but getting into an administrative scenario and maybe then opening up the scenario, maybe for me to jump into a coaching position at Anna after a year or two of maybe just being a varsity assistant or, or being an unpaid assistant or something. Well, anyways, I, I didn't, I didn't take that gig. Um, I stayed at Vandalia then for the next year. And at the end of year two of Vandalia, Again, the the hilltop job um, and teaching position came open, and, and I had just heard about that um, I, just through through someone that I knew, and I thought, you know, uh, I was in the process of, of I had just gotten in, was going to get engaged with my wife. Um, she didn't know that yet, but I knew that I was <laughs> going to ask her to ask her to marry me, um, and she was in Van Orp, so she graduated the year before I did. And she was working and living with her parents in Van Wert. And I thought, you know, maybe this might be a, uh, an opportunity to kind of get back closer to home and and start, you know, piecing, piecing this life thing together here. So lo and behold, I, I make that contact and I go up to interview. And, um, 
you know, Cookie, you, you know, the only reason I got that job is because you did. You, you know that, right? I remember that, that it played out that way. I don't know. Yeah, for, for those who don't know, actually, well, Mike, Mike Vickers was the football coach at Ada High School when I started my career. And, and Mike watched me beat my head against the wall and was a pretty good mentor for me when I was trying to, to turn things around at Ada. And we had one good year. And so after the third year data, which wasn't as good as the second year, I had decided I was going to go to grad school and get my master's. And I had signed on with Coach Neal and was going to do one of my master's requirements was to have an, uh, a mentorship program. Uh, and, and so I was going to mentor under Coach Neal and spend the year with him. And I had kind of already decided that. And Mike calls and says, hey, why don't you apply for this basketball job up here at Hilltop? I think it'd be interesting. We're not going to be very good, but but I come in here and do a good job. I think maybe see what happens. And so I wanted to hang out with Mike. I, I, I took the inter, took the interview, went up and, and had dinner with Mike and his, his family. But the interview was like over two hours long. And when I came out of the interview, Mike was waiting on me and he was like, oh, damn. I said, what? He goes, two hours. He goes, that, that probably went well. And I said, well, I, I don't know. It might have. He goes, I, I just now it's so I leave and, and I know I'm not going to take the job. I've already kind of got my plan set up. And the funny thing was I got a call from Chris Adams that same year saying, Hey, I got a varsity assistant spot at Elida. Uh, would you be interested? It's it's history teaching, and 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 I really that one was really appealing. And I thought, you know what? No, I made my plan. I'm going to stick to it. Well, I, the morning after I come back from Hilltop, I get a call before school, and it's Mike, and he says, Hey, they're going to call you in like 20 minutes and offer you this job. Are you sure you don't want it? And I said, Mike, I, Mike, I, I don't want it. I just I just got married. I don't think I want to ask my wife to move to where we don't know anybody. Uh, yeah. now I don't, I don't think that's going to work. And sure enough, they called and we talked and I said, you know, I appreciate the offer, but I just, the timing's not right for me. So fortunately for them, it wasn't right for me. It was right for you because they were much better off that way than they would have been the other way. <laughs> it, it, it's just funny how, how things twist and turn and, you know, weave together eventually. And it's, it's funny how a lot of things are, are so connected and, uh, you know, you mentioned Mike Zickers, became good friends with Mike as well once I took the Hilltop job, which, ironically enough, is kind of a reason on when I was offered the opportunity to go to Delta, probably a big reason why I went, because I, I enjoyed Mike Vickers, and uh, he was a good salesman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yep, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I spent two years in Hilltop, um, you know, I was 24 years old when I took that job, and Hilltop uh, is in West Unity, uh, which is up Route 127, which is up in Williams County, which is – that school was is in the same conference uh, as, as Eden that I grew up playing. So, you know, I, I, I knew a lot of people, um, obviously, in the area. So I was essentially going home, even though I wasn't in my hometown. Um, I was home with – you know, I, I knew – I knew just knew multiple people there. Two guys, you know, Kenny Boyer, uh, Mick Belcher, who you, who you know were involved in your interview as well, um, you know, offered me the job. Took a, took a took a risk on on someone that was 24 years old and and uh, you know turned their basketball program over over to me. And I think that first year we won four finals, and, um, and that was and that was success. That was a win, uh, and we kind of established some things. And the next year, I think we won 12 games. And, um, we're starting to, to you know, build that program as, as, as good as we could, could build that program at that point in time. The opportunity to go to Delta came up, and I mentioned to you Mike Vickers, who had 
actually went from Delta to coach football, or went from Hilltop to coach football at Delta. And I had another friend over there by the name of Corey Sproul, who was a high school friend of mine. Uh, and those two guys were, like I said, both really good salesmen. And they convinced convinced me um, that Delta was, was going to be a little bit of a struggle bus for a while, but that eventually it could take off as a little bit bigger schools and a bigger league, um, which at that point actually was a disadvantage because the league was very, very good with the Crossbow, the Cross Brothers at Patrick Henry and Archibald and Ken Burgai was, uh, you know, those three guys, Dave, Doug and Dave Krause and Ken Burgai were legendary uh, coaches uh, in Northwest Ohio and in the conference at that time. It was just a tough fit, and uh, I got an education in coaching over those two years that, again, really um, taught me a lot about myself and about the profession and you know, that it wasn't as much about what I knew about X's and O's, but that I needed, I needed to get a little bit better uh, making connections and relationships uh, with, with, with the Jimmies and the Joes and, and, and understanding that it's not just about what I, what, I, what I know about basketball, but what I know about kids and people. And uh, I did not do a very good job of that early on in my career, and, you know, which probably is not uncommon with a lot of people. And, um, you live and learn, Cookie, and you know I, I think the experiences that I had at both those schools, all being from a from a coaching perspective, not always rosy and not always positive. Boy, you, you learn from things that you did wrong, and I learned a lot in those those four first four years in those two jobs for sure. And, and I guess that was part of the kind of the, one of the questions I wanted to ask is. When you're going through struggles and, and, and obviously seeing some progress in between year one and year two at Hilltop was encouraging. And, and the Delta experience was, and you and I talked before about this, just it, it, it was one that could have beaten you. I mean, it could have defeated you if you sure. let it. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, when, when, so when you're learning from that, you talked about what you, you thought was the most important lessons. It was the stuff off the floor. Um, and, and that's, that's stuff that, I'm going to guess, JB, that becomes really applicable to where you go next. Yeah, and it's it's and it's really uh, interesting on how I actually even ended up where I ended up. <laughs> well, and and I and I want I want to get into some of those particulars, but but when when I when I'm I guess the the question I'm asking is when you went to your next stop, and we'll talk about Crestview. Top of top of mind now is the things that aren't X and O related and aren't f- style of play related. I'm going to guess. Correct. Um, because had, had had that been an issue, I mean, you know, a lot of people know. I mean, I, I would have never had the opportunity to become head coach here. Uh, you know, in in 2002 when I got hired. So the people um, that uh, had had the the mentality or, or the foresight to look ahead and, and look at me from a different perspective other than, you know, a 23 and 61 coaching record in four years <laughs> to come into a place that that was totally not part of their culture and not even not acceptable <laughs> for one. Right. And, and, and to be hired, um, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, it's, it's crazy how that even came to fruition. Um, but I think, again, I, I had a good background of, of, of being around good people, obviously like a coach Neil that, that maybe knew some people that, that 
could get in their ear and say, hey, you know, let's maybe give give this, this guy a chance, get him an interview, get him in there and, and see what he's all about. And uh, and then it, then it's up to up to him. You know what I mean? So I think that's what happened for me. Uh, you know, I, I had some people in my in my corner that, that that made a couple phone calls and the right connections and got me to the interview seat. And then I knew once I got that opportunity, man, I was I was. I was putting a full court press on, if you will, which I didn't do very often as a coach, but I was going to get after that. And, and I really wanted, um, you know, I was going to go for it because that was my, I thought that was my opportunity to find a situation that uh, was a dream that I'd had as a little kid growing up, you know, coaching at a school, small town school where you're immersed in the culture, you're immersed in the community. I was a teacher um, where basketball athletics were, important uh where there was tradition already and what how could you not uh how could you not want that opportunity and i was blessed to get that for sure well let's back up briefly and talk about the 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 approach to that though when you talk about and you and i've talked before about the difficulties at delta and how how draining it was on you when you're in that spot at Delta and, and this thing comes up at Crestview, talk about your mindset in applying for it. Was there any hesitation to, God, I, I don't know if I want to try to get involved with that. Look where I'm at. Look at the struggles I'm having. I might That, that may not be for, for me. Maybe I don't want to get in over my head. Or was there any feeling of I just whatever it is, I just want to get the hell out of where I am. And that's that's the next best opportunity. Talk about your mindset before you you know, got into the process very far about initiating that and then. And then what it leads to with, like you said, with guys in your corner, maybe helping you out a little bit. Yeah, that's, you know, again, I was 28 years old at that time. My mindset was pretty clear. You know, I, I had heard that that job was going to be open um, at the state tournament that year, 2002. Um, again, Cookie, my, my wife was, was from Van Wert, not a, not a Crestview gal, but she was from Van Wert, Van Wert High School. But obviously, you know, it's right here in this county. So, her family, um, I'd heard about it through one of her family's friends and, and this guy who had, had been a longtime athletic director and teacher at, at Van Wert High School and said that that job was going to be open and, and wondered if I had any kind of interest. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. Why, why the hell not? You know, what, else, <laughs> what do I got to lose? Yeah. You know, I, uh, I still, you know, yes, I was at the end of my rope, uh, so to speak, um, after a couple of tough years at Delta, but I, I knew, I knew this is what I wanted to do. I knew it's what I could do. Um, and I just said, what the hell, let's, let's give this a try. And it was, was going to be an opportunity for my, to, to get my wife back down here with her family. Um, so yeah, I, I, I started making phone calls. Um, I vividly remember I, I, I called Crestview, the Crestview school office that next Monday after the state tournament and said, I heard that there's potential of a basketball job is open. And I remember talking to John Day Singer and he says, well, it's not open officially. What's your name? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, once we get it posted, you're, you know, you're, you're free to plot. <laughs> and uh, all that stuff transpired, and, you know, um, but I just, I, I just didn't really think twice about it, John. I, maybe I didn't know any better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know any better. Yeah, I, I knew of Crestview. I knew of it. I mean, I knew of Crestview back when I was in high school. I followed, um, I followed it. You know, I knew of the Van, you know, Van Wert and, and St. Henry and, and 
um, Delta St. John's and Crestview. And I, I paid attention to that as a kid coming through high school. So I knew that there was a tradition. I knew that, you know, I knew of Ray Epsler. I didn't know him, but I knew of him. And I knew of Doug Epsler, you know, that time. I knew that stuff. Um, and when I got a chance to, to, to get that interview, um, you know, I, I was able to, to make some connections with that, even though I was an outsider. Uh, it's to me, it's it's fascinating, and 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 and, talk, and and I like hearing you talk about the 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 decision to pursue it, and then kind of getting locked in. And I'll say this, and it'll sound like it's off the cuff. I'm trying to be funny. I'm not, but but here's what I do know. And I just had this conversation with Scott Elkert when we recorded a podcast recently about his son Trey applying for a job. And Scott made the statement that when Trey applied for the Walpock job. Um, he brought Scott his his stuff that he was taking to the interview. And Scott said, now he's my son, John, but he said, I'm telling you, I was blown away at how prepared he was for the interview process. And, and, I, and I said to Scott, well, I'm going to guarantee you, if he played four years for Guy Neal, he knows how to put together a notebook. It's going to look really damn good. And, well, you got it, brother. You got it. <laughs> And I had all that stuff. I, I, I had those bullets, man. You know, I, I had all that. I knew how to put together a presentation because, you know, Coach Neal presented to us every day on, on the way things are done. And yeah. uh, I knew how to put that together. That's a, that's a, it's an awesome story. And uh, I think there's just for people who don't know, you know, you just think, well, it's an interview process. You go through the interview and you get it. There, there's a lot that goes into it. And then, the other thing about an interview, Jeremy, and I'd like to hear your, your thoughts on this. When you do an interview, you want to be as good as you can be. But the last thing you want to do is overpromise and underdeliver. <laughs> Correct. Correct. You know, that, that's it. Go ahead. You know, and, and <laughs> I can remember you know, going through the process and then, and then getting the job. And, I, and, and again, you know, I, I'll never forget. And I, I like to tell people, I, I went down to the board meeting uh, where I was introduced as the lip coach. And I remember walking out of the board meeting. There was a few people milling around out in the hallway, um, just some community people or people connected, husbands or wives to people on the school board or whatever. But I remember a guy, a guy walking up to me. And one of the first things he said to me was, "It's uh, it's been a while around here. I'm not even sure I know how to. I'm not even sure I know how to get to the Elida Fieldhouse anymore. <laughs> so, Cookie, that was, that was walking out of being hired from the board meeting. This fellow comes up, shits my hand, and congratulates me. <laughs> kind of tongue-in-cheek makes that comment. And I'm like, here we go. Uh, and for anybody listening who doesn't understand, that means it, it, at that time at Crestview, in order to get to the Elida Fieldhouse, you had to win a sectional and you had to get to the district tournament. Yeah, and, and they've been kind of, you know, a uh, stroke of bad luck or, or whatever you want to call it. But, yeah, so that was that was one of my initiations, um, you know, in reference to, to welcome welcome to Crestview. Um, but let's let's get that map back down, get us back to the field house, which was, you know, kind of, kind of reminds me of the movie. You know, welcome to Indiana basketball, you know. They're, they're gathered to a barbershop. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No question about it. So the the formalities are out of the way, so to speak, and, and you're the new head coach at Crestview High School. Uh, talk a little bit for me, if you would, about and there's there's three dynamics I guess I'm interested in. One is you're, you're coming into a program um, and, and 
Dave Bowen was a longtime assistant who I think in, in some ways was viewed as, as it was his turn uh, to become the head coach there. Um, kind of he was next in line, so to speak, when they make the decision to go outside the program and, and hire and bring you in. So talk about the dynamic of working with Dave and, and kind of, I don't know if mending fences is the right word, but moving forward and getting past the, the, the maybe the awkward stage that that is. And then the second thing that I'm most interested in is describe the program that you took over in terms of depth numbers, um, you know, how the program operated that you could see. And then, and then kind of what did you prioritize in, in, in making it yours? Sure. Well, first, you know, you, you kind of beat me to the punch on, on naming Dave. Uh, but, you know, Dave, Dave Bowen was with me for 16 of, of my 17 years um, as my assistant coach. And uh, yes, you, you hit it on the head. That was a really tough scenario for Dave when, when he wanted that job um, in a bad way, you know, like, like, like uh, I respected that because he's a Crestview guy, you know, Dave is bleeds Crestview red, white, and blue. And, um, you know, the, the program always been within under coach E coach Etzler's um, assistance through all those years, you know, almost, 40 years plus worth of custody basketball was Ray Etzler and then, you know, Dan Fiesel and, and, and Larry Taylor guys that had, had coached under him and, and all, and all intents and purposes, Dave Bowen was next in line. Um, and Dave and I have had these conversations through the years. Um, Dave and I are best of friends, uh, still and probably always will be. Um, but he's, he's one of the first, he is the first individual I went to, uh, about remaining on staff with me. And, um, he didn't know what he wanted to do for, for a week or so, but, you know, I was hired on a, on a Monday and I think I met with him that, that next Saturday morning and we talked for quite some time and, and, um, I shared with him my vision and my wishes and he listened and got back with me and, you know, really kind of the rest is history because he was, once he was in, he was in and locked in. And, you know, I, I learned a lot about um, the, the importance and the value of what Crestview Crest basketball meant to our community through Dave. Again, John, I'm an outsider. I mean, I knew of Crestview, but I didn't live it, breathe it, grow up with it uh, like he did and, and a lot of people around here. So, boy, did I learn from him. Um, how important it was and how special it was. And obviously, you know, through the year made that ours, you know, my program, his program together, blended that together was some things that I, that I had changed, but it was ironic through all these years, a lot of the similarities that Dave and I both had <clears throat> just from a coaching perspective. So I had the benefit of having a guy with me for 16 years that, that was a head coach. I mean, I was the head coach, but Dave, Dave had the qualifications uh, to be one. So he was my JV coach. He was my varsity assistant coach, but he also was kind of my right-hand man uh, just with a lot of things. So I owe a lot to Dave uh, and what he did for me and my time as a head coach for sure. And and I've, I've always, I, I guess from a distance, admired the, the way that that relationship uh, began and then how it evolved over time because it, it, it had the potential, again, to not, not be an ideal scenario for either of you. Uh, if it wasn't handled really well by both of you. Well, I appreciate that. And, 
I think both of us, you know, once we got to know each other, um, and, and, you know, we both shared our love of, of hoops and, you know, he, he was just great for programming for me. And, and I had a lot, you know, I mentioned Dave, but I had multiple great assistants, you know, and I, I heard a lot of guys that you interviewed talked about their assistant coaches, but, you know, I had Greg Mosier was with me for a few years. Joel Mendrick was on that, that my first, first staff with that Dave and Joel Mendrick and Greg Mosier. And later along came uh, uh, Mark Gregory, who was with me uh, for nine or 10 years. Mike Myers was with me. Um, and we, we had a really, we had a lot of fun for one <laughs> with those guys. Uh, to, to, we had a really nice group um, where Mike and I and, and Dave and Mark were together for nine or 10 years. And um, until those guys kind of went off in different, different, different ways, you know, Mark became our girls coach and Mike's an administrator at Wayne Trace. And Dave eventually moved into our principalship job uh, at the high school, which is why he left uh, that last year which I still kind of pimp him about because <laughs> you, you, you know what kind of happened that year. Yeah. But, but, but he was connected to that. He, he was, he would definitely was connected to that for sure. So, and then, you know, I've had, uh, I've always had great junior high coaches, um, Danny Miller, <laughs> Frank Minnick, uh, Ray Essler, and then at the tail end, I had some some players that got into the teaching coaching profession that came back home, uh, Tony Springer and Stephen Rickard, who I love, love having those guys as former players, um, being with them and working with them and building a different relationship and friendship with them uh, in the profession. Um, I've just been blessed with having great people in our program through all, through all those years. Uh, I'll tell you a, kind of a neat story that I don't think I've ever told before. Uh, the first year, the first summer, I think that you were at Crestview, you guys, you guys came to Bluffton to a shootout, and yep. uh, I was on the staff at Bluffton, and it was funny because you guys were were going to be playing in Founders in the old gym. So, w- within about twenty minutes of each other, I had a conversation with with Dave, and I had a conversation with you standing on the stage, separate from one another. So, you guys got there, and we got you checked in, and and things were getting going. So, I was talking to Dave just about the transition and about his obviously an initial disappointment and, and how bitter of a pill, pill that was to swallow, but his, his, and legitimately his, his weighed out and well thought out decision to join and stay involved and, and, and how eager he was to see things unfold because he had said, you know, Jeremy's going to do a good job. He said, it's, 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 it's hard to not be in that chair, but it's exciting to see what might be possible with what we've got going. And then probably within 15 minutes, Dave was down on the floor with the JV group and you and I were on the stage and they were just going through, I think maybe you had just installed your offense and stuff fairly early on. And he was kind of dummying through the offense with them. And while you and I were talking, they were having a tough time picking a concept up in the middle of it. And as you're talking to me, you say to yourself very low, Dave, stop it and start it over. They're not, and you got about that much out there not getting it and and almost on cue like like you guys were having the same mindset he stopped whatever they were doing and started it from the top and walked them through it and i remember walking away from that conversation thinking those guys are going to be just fine yeah and that's that, that's, um, that's cool that you shared that and and, and it's so true and that, and that was was present through all our years you know a lot of our thoughts and, and maybe sometimes to a fault um but not very often. Sometimes, to a fault, we thought too much alike with some things. But um, it also was a strength that we had, um, because we were 
pretty much in sync and in tune with each other. But if we weren't, uh, we didn't have any trouble telling each other uh, in, in rather so different ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you, we, we could spend a lot of time talking about the specifics of a kind of a year by year breakdown at Crestview. You go, you go to state right, right away, uh, experience something that that's almost unique, except for you, it becomes something that gets repeated a couple of times. And, and I, I don't want to necessarily get into to the the the, bit, the specifics of each year unless there's something you would would like to share. But what I'd really like to talk about in the time that we have left is from 1998 at Hilltop to your time at Crestview. I want to talk a little bit about your evolution as a coach, and, and, and specifically talk about your evolution, uh, the evolution of your why in coaching and the evolution of your how and maybe what evolved and changed about not just why you do what you do, but how you go about it and what, what some of the, the progression was for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, you mentioned the, the why and why, why did I want to do this? And I think that obviously evolved through years of experience. Um, my initial why probably was because I, I just, I loved basketball and I wanted to continue to, to compete um, and obviously you can't play anymore. So what's the next best route, uh, is, is to coach it and to compete alongside and, and with, with your kids. Um, you know, and, and, and I don't think that that's a bad why, but as time goes on, yes, it's still, it's still is connected to that, to competing and, and wanting your kids to be an extension of you. But my why really formulated through time was, uh, making those connections with kids and, and cause I was, I wasn't very good at that early on. Um, I didn't think about it much. Maybe I didn't care enough about it because I was more concerned about, um, letting them know what I knew. If that makes any sense. Absolutely. Rather than, rather than getting to know them and letting them know me. But once I became better, um, at maybe being a little more vulnerable cookie with my players, um, my why became uh, it just it became much more clear to me that I, I just I just I wanted to build relationship with those kids and yes I I was hard on kids a lot of times I was demanding I was adamant I was a little bit maybe of a jackass sometimes but I think when I was eight and again probably the last ten to eleven years of my career I became much better at this is I showed vulnerability showed some vulnerabilities I mean. You know, my why, I wasn't afraid on my lot. I wasn't afraid to tell them why they pissed me off. I wasn't afraid to hug them. You know, I wasn't afraid to cry in front of them and tell them different things about my struggles with, you know, through the profession or, or whatever, you know, family stuff. And I was not afraid later on my career to stand up in front of my guys and do things like that. And uh, that's something that I didn't do when I was younger. And I think it allowed those guys in. Uh, we kind of got in each other's hearts a little bit better. And I think that probably really became my why. And probably ultimately, John, is the reason why I decided probably to, to try and maybe get away from it for a while because of those types of things can be just so <laughs> – they can be mentally and physically and emotionally draining on a person. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where I got to that point. And um, – you know, the how, I kind of mentioned the how. I just wasn't afraid to uh, to let them see me be human. And I wasn't very good at that early on, even across the first few years. Um, 
but you know, I, I, I do wish that some of my players I had in my first eight to 10 years could have played for me in my last four or five or six years. <laughs> that's a, that's a great statement, JB. Really it is. I, I think, I think a lot of coaches would feel that way, but not, maybe not verbalize it that way. Um, because I think a lot of times when you have those coach, those, those kids early on in your career where you spend time button heads and, and what you can identify then is why they're the problem. Um, yeah. and, and what you learn maybe later on is it doesn't matter who is the problem. It matters about finding the solution. And, and, and ultimately as a coach, that becomes our job, uh, is finding the solution or, or determining that there isn't one. Sometimes that's yep. a, that's a, that's a, that's a, a viable legitimate outcome. Sometimes I think that's, but the more vulnerable you get with your guys, the more they begin to understand that. And I think that it's easier for everybody to be a part of the solution. Once you create that vulnerability is a difficult thing because it, it does open you up. And it also, it is, it is draining. Um, but, but I think that the, that the, sincerity um, and the genuineness of, of what you develop from that point is, is what makes things. And again, I'm not, yeah, obviously when you win a state title, everybody's going to feel that deeply, but you, you, you could be six and 18 and, and, and have some really valuable experiences through coaching because of vulnerability and openness that aren't going to be there at six and 18. If you don't have that. You got it. You got it. And I mentioned to you, know, Tony Spurman, they, they played, they they played back when when we were kind of you know reshuffling the, the, our program a little bit. We, we we didn't weren't blessed with with maybe some of the, the talent and physicality and athleticism that 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 we were blessed with a lot here. And those guys were very formidable and and kind of riding the ship and keeping our program moving in the right direction. Uh, and then the fact that you know Stephen and Tony come back and coach for us and experience some really cool things uh, as a coach that maybe they didn't get to as a player. Well, that's really rewarding for me uh, from a coaching perspective. And, you know, you, you, you can look at success, you know, a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I, success is, is interpreted by a lot of people in a lot of different ways. You know, it's, you know, what do you value? Uh, you know, what do you devote your time and attention to? Those types of things. Ultimately, though, Cookie, it's, you know, who, who you serve and the concept of servant leadership, coaching, teaching, a servant leadership. And um, that's something that I, I think that uh, you can't lose vision over. Yeah, we had some success, but I'm much more proud of, of how we viewed our success uh, with our relationships with our players and our coaching staff. And, um, people within our program, and I think that that I'm going to carry with me much more uh, in my mind and my heart than than any you know championship ring or anything like that, Cookie. That's uh, you know it, it's funny too because I think guys that haven't experienced the success or guys that have struggled the way that maybe I did in my coaching career, it, it's easy at times to say, well, yeah, you can give that answer because you won, you know, because you got yeah. there. But but and, and we'll never know if you'd give the answer if you hadn't won because you won. But the truth of the matter is, I think the fact that you're giving that answer now is an indication in my estimation, the way I see things is you're giving that answer now because of all of the, the, the totality of the experience. And the answer I don't think would change if you didn't have the championships, if you hadn't gone to the state finals and won it a couple of times or whatnot. Um, I don't believe that that's the case. I, I told you before we started recording, I talked to Bob Deloney about coaching at Denison and the struggles at Denison University. And, you know, Bob had, had, had won a state title in high school, took the college route, and they really struggled at Denison. But he got to the NCAA tournament one year by winning the North Coast 
uh, conference tournament, and and that's the only time they've ever gotten there. And I, I asked him during the podcast if you if you don't make that shot that seals the game, if you miss that shot and they go the other way and score, and you don't you don't get into the tournament, do you feel differently about your time at Denison? And he gave a great answer. And, and so I'd ask you this similar question, and I, I've asked you this before. You know, when when you're wrapping up in in 2014, I think it was when you're wrapping up an undefeated season and, and winning a state title. Um, and you've got in your background the ability to reflect back on a year when the zero was in the other column, <laughs> or or really, in, when you have that totality, I, I guess the question is: first of all, when you're going through that, do, do you reflect back on what it was like to be Ofer? And and then legitimately, do you feel like you would feel differently about your Crestview experience if you hadn't gotten to Columbus or hadn't won those those titles that you did? Yeah, that's an interesting question, and, and there's probably a lot of ways I can answer that. But you know, you, you talk about you know winning our first title in '14 and reflecting back, Cookie. I mean, you, you heard a little bit of my story, you know, about where I'm from and, and how I was shaped and formed. It's very simplistic. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a very simplistic kind of guy. I live this uh, simplistic life and um, keep things. Um, you know, I, I've always been kind of a straight shooter. And I, I think the way I was raised, the experiences that I had, I never really, um, you know, yeah, I had a dream of, I mean, who doesn't, who doesn't dream of, of having that opportunity? But when I had it, um, and been blessed to have it a couple times, I just really reflect back to just being a kid growing up in Eden, Ohio. You know, and and not maybe having those opportunities as a player, uh, didn't have the resources available, those types of things to to compete at that level. But you know, early in my career, when we were one twenty, and then you know, a handful of years later, I, we go to the state tournament, won a state championship. I just think about the simplistic things that were taught to me that helped me maybe mold that team and shape that team and what they were. And also what that team molded me into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I learned as much from those guys that I would, I would have not admitted to them then, but I can't now. Um, and, and how we just solidified and, and, and um, became all on the same page together. Just happened to pull off something that was, you know, truly special. But to me, it was just about, um, just, just the simplistic <laughs> upbringing that I had, and, um, the reflection back on my parents. I thought about that a lot, especially after the 19. I thought a lot about my mom and dad, and just the simplistic things that, that they taught me. Uh, and um, you know, I just tried to keep it real with my guys, and just um, yeah, it's it just it, it's it was a, it was a it was a fun, unbelievable ride. And I'm just very blessed and fortunate that I had that opportunity cookie. So, so this brings me to my next question. And, and trust me, there are there are a, there's a page of notes over here that I'm ignoring and we're not going to get to. We could do three more podcasts. But uh, th- 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 this is the quote-unquote uncomfortable part of the podcast, okay? So you yeah. you are a guy who, again, I've said I make no bones about it. I, I count myself lucky to call you a friend. But just from a, from a person who knows you but also someone who's observed you maybe when you didn't know you were being observed – you're, you're a very you're, you're a very introspective, reflective, uh, measured person in a lot of ways, and and you are a remarkably competitive human being that has a fire in you that that when we see it, it's pretty impressive. Like I my my one of my lasting memories of you 
is you you guys getting a win in Monsignor Her Gymnasium against LCC probably in like 06, 07, somewhere in that neck of the woods. And, yeah. and, and right at the end, you guys pull out the win and there's a really emotional response that comes from you. And then I was actually recruiting for, for Bluffton. So I'm behind the, in the back hallway there and you step out of the locker room and you, you're almost giddy. Like you duck down. You're like, how cool is this? <laughs> and, and, and I, so here's my point is when I, when I look at the totality of who you are, I got to ask, man, are you really done? <laughs> Yeah, all this time and you gotta spring that on me. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't I don't know how to answer that question. I mean I could again I could answer that, you know, eighty five different ways. Uh today I am. Tomorrow I am. I I, I will I coach again if that's your question. Uh, yeah, probably. And it's in some capacity. I don't know what that means, John. I know um uh, you know, I had an opportunity this year to maybe to coach, um, you know, at the younger level, my, I have a daughter that's going to be in the seventh grade and, uh, Mark wanted me to help out at the junior high level, but, but I, I, I decided not to do that. I just didn't know if that was in best interest of, of me and my family and Mark's program. And I, I don't know. Um, I've always trusted the timing of my life cookie for the most part. And I've not always made great decisions with my timing, but I think that my timing to get out was at the right time, and I trust that decision for right now. I'd, How about that? I'll, I'll take that answer. I will. And, and <laughs> I, I, ha, I had a guy tell me one time, um, and, and obviously it's it's a little bit, of, obviously a very different circumstance in terms of career paths, but I had a guy tell me when it, when it was pretty clear that I probably wasn't going to do high school anymore. A uh, guy said to me, well, you got to do what you got to do and do what's right for you, and, and people will respect that, but – the, the game doesn't need to lose any more good guys too early. And, uh, and Correct. so whoever it was that was telling me that was saying, and I appreciated it, you know, that you, you, we, we'd like to have you in the game. So selfishly, I'd like to have you in the game. Um, but also selfishly, um, as your friend, I, 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 I take a great deal of pleasure just from where I am and being able to tell people, you know what, that guy got to do it his way on his terms. And there are too many of us that don't have that choice. So uh, I respect the hell out of out of that and, and your perspective on it. I said we we could do two more podcasts and we are we're we're, we're nearing a half an hour longer than I said we would go. So uh, <laughs> I apologize for that. No 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 no. I have enjoyed the conversation and I appreciate your candor and uh, who knows maybe down the road we'll we'll do another one of these sometime. But listen, I just want to say thanks. Give my best to your wife and your family and and hopefully we'll we'll keep in touch and get this this pandemic stuff behind us at some point. I agree, Jay. I appreciate it, and you're doing a great job with this. And uh, thanks for letting me uh, come on here and, and and have a chat with you for a little bit. And uh, I agree, I, I'm ready for this this pandemic stuff to to move on. But good Lord willing, we can get some things figured out and, and move back to somewhat normalcy. Thanks so much for listening again today. If you would like to listen to previous or future episodes of the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast, you can listen on Spotify or Google Podcasts as well as several other podcast platforms. Please review, rate, and subscribe. And if you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at anchor.fm backslash john-cook. That's J-O-N-C-O-O-K-0. Anchor.fm backslash john-cook0. Thanks again. Hope to talk hoops with you again real soon.